I love watching The Rock. I'm not going to lie. He could like <laughs> literally do no wrong to me. He is pretty perfect. He's it's like when he's human. it's like when he's obsession with John Cena. She can never not love him. I I, it's just I was born this way. OK, <laughs> I love it. It's how it is. I was born. I feel that way about The Rock. I really do. He's I mean, so cute. So I need to find a wrestler and a, a convicted, convicted murderer. And a convicted murderer. <laughs> right, yes. yes, you do. I haven't picked one yet. Goals. I will let you Quick. all know when I do. <laughs> Leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing. And now you're trying to feed him your body. Now fluid. shall kill all of your Everybody's had a dog fish a tampon out of the garbage. It ain't right to bubble you, but you can pretend like you will. A dog. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Straight Up Evil. My name is Jocelyn. I'm the brunette. We've got Katie. She's the redhead. Hello. And we have Carly. She's the blonde. Hi. So we were kidding ourselves and thinking that we could do this in two parts. So ah. this will be part two of three of our series on the West Memphis Three. If you are just joining us, there is a part before this. So go back, listen to part one, because we're going to pick up right where we left off. So when we last left West Memphis, the bodies of Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Chris Byers had been found in a drainage ditch in Robin Hood Hills, very popular place for kids to ride their bikes. As we said last episode, Detective Gary Gitchell was Gitchell. named lead investigator in this case, and he was joined by Detective Don Bray and local, quote, occult expert, Jerry Driver. Yeah, okay. One of the many, yeah. quote, unquote, occult experts. Expert. Quote, unquote, experts. On this, on this case. Yes. You know that it's never yes. good before your title if someone has to go, quote unquote exactly not yes. good so jerry driver is of course former airline pilot turned juvenile officer who mentioned damian eccles name to steve jones and steve jones is the juvenile officer who found the floating shoe which led to the discovery of the boys so how do you get to be an expert on the occult <laughs> also who the fuck would ever call themselves that? <laughs> so, like, <Seriously>. honestly. <laughs> so being an occult expert probably was in high demand in 1993 because we were in the throes of the satanic panic. And Carly is going to tell us more about the satanic panic. So basically it's a moral panic, okay? Which is a, a mass movement on the false or exaggerated perception that some cultural behavior or group of people is dangerously deviant and poses a threat to society's culture. Okay, hmm. perception. So, it literally starts with witch, with the witchcraft trials of Europe and North America in the 14th to 17th centuries, okay? 100,000 people, mostly women, were executed because they thought they were witches and none of them were. They literally were like, oh, you have a weird freckle? You're a witch. 
oh, you're a ginger, you're a witch. You're a witch. You have long hair, you're a witch. You have short hair, you're a witch. Like, obviously. Two things that this moral panic has in common with modern satanic panic is it was a social movement caused by political and social unrest, and it was fueled by the media. Fast forward to the 1980s where it just gets real. So the 1980s was huge in social unrest because women were entering the workforce. How dare we? Oh, shocking. Okay. Literally, the daycare industry is booming, but women are blamed for, quote, abandoning their children to strangers. I'm a working mom. How dare you? 2021 boost. <laughs> that's the social unrest is happening then in the 1980s the political unrest like there's the vietnam war aftermath like right-wing evangelicals are around backing president reagan there's like they think that like backing politics is like a morally appealing thing so you get to the point where like you open any newspaper or turn on any news you know anything you're going to hear about all the subliminal messages hidden in rock music there's pagan symbols and cartoons oh this is like QAnon. There's these little things called criminal trials involving teachers who were allegedly engaging in human sacrifice. And I'm sure that some of our listeners know about the McMartin preschool case, which we should definitely do a whole episode on. Yes, absolutely. Crap. Okay. It's like one mother of a child who goes to the preschool and she says like all these things that went down, like there's behead, the children are watching them behead a baby, drink the blood. There's like inappropriate photo sessions, kidnapping, animal sacrifices, and it all becomes this huge media blitz. Everyone's crazy. All the kids are interrogated by police and psychologists. Letters went out to like all the people who live locally. All was because it ended up that this mother had undiagnosed schizophrenia. All the accusations that she made were unfounded and untrue. But in the meanwhile, America thought like, this is it. Like obviously it's blowing up. It's blowing up. And that is how things blew up back then was through word of mouth. You didn't have things go viral back then on social media. Not the way it does now. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine if it were now, how even worse. But like it like got to the point where the mass hysteria would grow to include Oprah. She was apparently (laughs) a whole thing. The TV shows Mr. Ed and Thundercats and the Smurfs. They were like animals talking like humans or like humanistic animal. It's a whole thing. I don't know. They have like code. They have code talk or something that's supposed to be like corrupt. Yeah. Also, Amy Bishop would be pissed because Dungeon and Dragons is on the list. No. What is she going to do for fun? What is she going to do? Did you say, did you say McDonald's too? Yeah, yeah, because also like all their cartoon characters, like all of their McDonald's characters like are supposed to be. Stuff. Yes, they're all supposed to be like devil references. Okay, well, Pamper like Cyphers is also on the list. So like explain to me <laughs> how. Okay, something with the logo was like a satanic symbol. What about okay. Scientologists? Are they on the list? Because that one I would actually believe. Okay, baby. Um, I would actually believe that one. Tom Cruise is a devil worshiper. But yeah, I said it. I, I back you. I back you on that. I fucking back you, sir. I can't stand I Tom Cruise. Back you. Fuck I Tom Cruise. Sorry, Tommy Tom, but fuck you, dude. Tom Cruise, he jumped on the couch on Oprah. Yeah, he's he worships the devil. Whoa. Oh, wow. 
That's basically what satanic panic was. And about. then it goes to the little teenage. Then it starts going to the little teenagers because they wear black t-shirts and freaking eyeliner and yep. smoke cigarettes Long and color their nails with sharpies. Yeah. And listen to heavy metal music that was really popular in the eighties. You and know, we we got some of this in the late nineties with Columbine, we did. which we will definitely yes. cover. But <clears throat> there was a huge narrative about what music did they listen to. There have been numerous scientific studies that have proved that listening to rock music of any kind does not invoke violence and like aggressive behavior. No, I believe it, right. it. Proved, dude. Science. No. no, the real sociopaths are doing the fucking Silence of the Lambs shit, listening to that classical, old school, creepy sounding shit, okay? While they're like slicing people's What's bodies wrong with up and wearing music? their skin. But I'm Hannibal Lecter loved a good just, concerto. I, yeah. So do you I. <laughs> you know, we laugh about it now, but it was definitely believed in the time and it was definitely part of the societal norm. People really thought there were books and there was all this and law enforcement was being trained all over the country on the ways to identify this satanic influence and what these things mean and what these people might do. And it's just all conjecture. It's not, there's no, nothing hard to back it up. So that should give you a little bit of context about what's going on in West Memphis and what they were, what the backdrop of all of this is. And something else that we have to talk about before we can move forward in our story is the phenomenon of false confessions. As we mentioned in our last episode, Jesse Miss Kelly confessed to these crimes. And in the process, he implicated both Damien, who's a goth outsider with an attitude and his best friend Jason, both of which he barely around, knew. Pretty much. Yeah, Jason, just, pretty Jason much just literally, literally just Jason by association. Innocent bystanders. Yep. Just up the just fact that in. he had that his best friend Ugh. was Damien Eccles. That's yep. literally the only reason the guy yep. is. And as we said, we firmly believe that Damien, Jason, and Jesse are innocent. So how is it possible to confess to a crime you didn't commit? And why would anyone ever do that? I mean, most people believe that an innocent person would not confess unless they are tortured like actually physically tortured or mentally ill. They just believe that people will not act against their own self-interest. Why would you do that to yourself? But it happens all the time. All the time. For so long. So according to the Journal of the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law, in the past two decades, hundreds of convicted individuals have been exonerated by DNA and non-DNA evidence that has revealed the phenomenon of police-induced false confessions, and those confessions are the leading cause of wrongful convictions. But this so, has been going on since like the 1600s, dude. Yeah. Yeah, false confessions. Like the first recorded false confession was in 1666. 666. 666. And then the witch, wow. the Salem witch trap. Again, that's a huge- Right, false confession. Thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, And so when we say a false confession, what does that mean? A false confession. Number one, it's an admission, right? So I did it. And number two, it's a post-admission narrative. So it's a description of how and where the crime occurred. So it's not enough just to say that you did it. You also have to say the specifics of the situation. So the police have to check off both of those boxes. And you would think it would be hard to do if you didn't do it, Mm -hmm. but it's not. So there's four 
top ways to prove a confession is false. Number one, when it can be established that the suspect confessed to a crime that never happened. So like if the murder victim walks into the police station, (laughs) you know, then nobody got murdered because the person is still alive. Number two, when it can be established that the defendant could not commit the crime because it would have been physically impossible to do so. So say Carly couldn't have committed the murder because she was in Guam for the year and the murder happened in West Memphis. Number three, when the true perpetrator of a crime is identified, which think about the Central Park Five, one of the five that was incarcerated was actually in prison with the person who was the actual offender in the Central Park jogger case. And he copped to it and they got out. So that's rare, but it does happen. And then number four is when scientific evidence establishes the confessor's innocence. So now we're talking about DNA. So police induce false confessions result from a process of influence, persuasion, compliance, and psychological coercion. So they first misclassify the person as guilty. So in our situation, this is Jerry Driver's satanic teenagers list. Right. They're that has already Damien, from the Jesse, yep. and Jason on it. So they've right. misclassified them, these children, as someone who could have done this. So that's step one. Then they subject them to guilt presumptive accusations and they repeatedly use implicit and explicit promises as well as threats. And once they confess, they're pressured to provide that post-admission narrative, which is usually like, we know you're not normally like this. We know you're not a monster. Tell us your side of the story so that we can advocate for you. You had a- You were driven to it. Like you had a bad day. Like you were obviously, yeah. Like just something went terribly wrong and you just have to tell us how it happened. Coercion happens to be the Hmm. most popular tactic for false confessions in high profile cases, just like this one. So there's often a huge amount of pressure on the police department to solve the crime. And there's no credible evidence against an innocent, but misclassified defendant. So that's Jesse Miss Kelly in a nutshell, Mm -hmm. nothing at all tying him to this crime, nothing concrete at all, suggesting that he was even there, but he's already been misclassified. So therefore he's being coerced. And this goes to, it also goes circles to to police training too, which we talk about on so many of our episodes. Oh my God. I can't. And how they are trained to interrogate. To get that confession. Yep. And they are, their job is they've been working for 50 years, getting people to make a confession called the read technique yes it's the one particularly aggressive and popular model of interrogation that yes. is often used by police officers in the united states is the read technique it's composed of eight steps carefully formulated to squeeze a confession out of a suspect like it can be yes it's used to get a confession from a suspect and like that can be a true confession from a mm-hmm. true suspect but unfortunately it is just as easy to squeeze out a confession from a person who has nothing to do with it it's the yeah same it's a thing. technique it's yeah. not designed for one specific type of person it's no. going to be used on everyone who is in that room and a lot of those people are innocent <laughs> so not not only a misclassified subject as jesse miss kelly is but a vulnerable misclassified suspect 
is someone who is highly suggestible or compliant as a result of a developmental disability, cognitive impairment, or just being a juvenile. Jesse Miss Kelly had an IQ of 72, was not even attending high school anymore, even in special education classes, because it was too much for him. He is to the nth degree of highly suggestible. Yeah. These individuals are not likely to understand that the police are really their adversary. They trust the police and they lack the ability to grasp the long-term consequences of making the statement. This, for this, just think of Brendan Dassey, just like yeah. Katie said in Every Making a Murderer. Time. Every time it makes me think of that. This is just like Brendan Dassey's It completely breaks my heart. And I really still to this day think that he is away for not for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And Eve, honestly, even if you think that Steve Avery is a murderer, which many people do, that confession is coerced without question. Independent of of Steve Avery or whatever he did or the murder of Teresa Hallback, any of it. That confession should never have been allowed. I've never seen a confession that coerced. Even though highly suggestible individuals often confess to crimes they didn't commit, they're not the only ones who do that. So a 2015 study shows that after conducting three interviews with test subjects who were treated as suspects of a crime, over 70% of them had memories of a past crime they did not commit. What are we doing? Okay, I just have to say that is so insane. It's so insane. And also for whatever reason, it reminds me of, okay, so like we all know I have anxiety, but there's a particular thing that some people with anxiety have. And it's a thing where they like, for instance, you go to get a background check for a job or something, or you're going to the airport for for flight. And you're all of a sudden like, you know that you've never done anything wrong in your life. You're like, wait, am I like secretly a criminal? And I don't know. And I'm going to get like arrested. Like it happens. Oh my God. It happens to me okay, all the like, time. Okay. So like you think that it's you like might have that. something on you or something. Are no. you talking about? Like, like I know for 1000%, I've never gotten in trouble with the law in any capacity. Never, ever, ever have. Okay. Well, I have. But it's when you come up to those things, like say like a traffic stop or something, you know, you were doing 30 and a 30 and you're totally fine. But you're like, wait a minute, am I secretly a criminal that like I did, I did something I didn't even know that I did. And now I'm going to get arrested and go to jail for the rest of my life. It's just like having a cop behind you at a red light. Yeah, you're like, yeah. oh shit! What yeah. about that? What, what about that kilo of cocaine in my trunk that I didn't even know I had? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like, like that. it's like, oh my god, have I prepared for this moment? Did yes. I have? Yes, I totally understand that. It's you're like, almost oh my god, like that. It's like, wait, did I commit that crime? Oh my god, did I? Yeah, but you know, you yeah. didn't. It's the kind power of. of suggestion is yeah. really unbelievable. Yeah, and seventy percent is a huge percentage. Yeah, it is. Of people who have done nothing, but have just sat through the process of being into quote unquote interviewed. Cops don't like the word interrogation, right? Interview. It was an interview, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. sitting through Mm -hmm. three of those people are just like, I'll say whatever you want. I don't But you then know? put on top of yeah, but then put on top of the fact that they're not being recorded or quote unquote uh the audio is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, yeah. uh oh, I pressed nope, the button. He said oh. this. He said this, but it's just a claim from me, the detective, and not actually on audio. Well, it's at like with Jesse's. They're like, oh well, you told me before 
that before XYZ, the tape, that this is right? what happened. Remember? And right? that did not even happen. As if we weren't already scared of the whole climate of police in this country to begin with. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now it's not like just the uniformed the officers yeah. out in the street like, with you. It's the guys at the station the bet, who right. are, sh- you know, sharks. Watch out. In a room with them. Watch and the fuck out. It's so scary. And I Watch realize that the, I honestly, we are not, we're not uh, cop bashing on this no. episode as much as we are going to in the next episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But. I understand that they have a job to do. And I understand that there are a lot of dangerous people who are not on the street with me and my family anymore because of law enforcement. But 100. this, the level, the level of popularity of this is a, is just on a whole other level. It poses yeah. a threat to a lot of innocent people. Yeah, um, it's not right. No. Have an attorney present. Lawyer. Every, a lawyer. Every time. Lawyer. Get a lawyer to the lawyer. police. Lawyer. We say this, we say this oh, every hey. time. Hey, Jocelyn, I'd just like to ask you a few questions about lawyer. Lawyer. Can you, Carly, can you tell me, is today Wednesday? Lawyer. 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 Hi, Katie. How are you today? I would like Could to ask you-, you a couple questions about how you're doing. Lawyer. Excuse me. Can you state your name for the record? Lawyer. I'm literally, Jocelyn, you better watch it the moment you become a lawyer. I'm just going to be getting phone calls all hours of the night. I was just thinking I may have committed a crime once (laughs) and I'm going to need help. I'm going to need to lawyer it up right now real quick. So we're going to get into the investigations of Damien and Jason first, but this is really important to remember once we get into Jesse's confession and it's going to tie it all together for the West Memphis PD. This phenomenon is not unique. It is well-documented, it is scientifically researched, and it happens all the time. I know it's hard to understand why someone would say they did something that they didn't do. It happens. So again, poor Damien, he just had a bad rep from the beginning. Like we said, Officer Steve Jones, who would later interview Damien, he literally only did this because he had been under the watchful eye of Jerry Driver like we said. And he literally only had him on the list because he was a teenager with wearing a long black trench coat, mostly black clothes. He was a dropout. He had long hair. At this point, I don't even know if he knew that technically Damien was a self-described Wiccan. Mm. He may or may not have even known that at the beginning before he put him on that list. Yeah. Also like that's not enough of a reason. A Wiccan does not mean you're a devil worshiper and you're saying like whatever. Okay. No, look, look in the dictionary, Jerry. Okay. Okay. Cause that's different. Damien was into like a, a female goddess. Yeah. Uh, like he was into like the, the spiritual, woman god. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mother earth type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't help matters though. In Jerry driver's eyes that Damien had allegedly threatened a former girlfriend of him and the boy that she was then dating. And then in some articles, I said that it was his father that he also had threatened and attacked, but then other ones say that it was the girlfriend's either mm-hmm. Way, yeah, I thought it was a girlfriend's father. I thought it was too, but then I read elsewhere that it was his father. So I just wanted to make sure. Either way, he tried to threaten and attack a whole grown man. Didn't look great. Yeah, he did have a driver. little bit of, he had a little bit of anger issues. But like we talked he about did. in the first episode, he had some mental health issues. He had a little bit of anger issues. I want to punch a wall 98% of the time. <laughs> okay. That description is so many kids I was friends with or went to class with in high school. I was going to say, Carly, like, didn't you, wasn't it you that had 100. the boyfriend? who threatened <laughs> who threatened to self-harm when you broke up with him after four days of dating yes yes after yes four days of dating. i had a vampire boyfriend as well a different guy you did not i did probably a vampire 
an aura stealing vampire, not a blood sucking vampire. There is a difference. It's not uncommon. And like your emotions get away with you. And like, regardless of emotions, just because you wear black and like hanging out with the goth kids does not mean you're doing anything bad. No. Ever. It doesn't mean you sacrifice children. Damien did put a little short stint in a psychiatric hospital, right? Because after this attack on the girlfriend's father, like he was violent and they definitely thought he was depressed, which he ended up being, which is an actual mental illness that needs to be treated. So he went in there for a little while. But afterwards, he would meet regularly with a social worker in West Memphis for his depression and his aggressive behavior. And Jerry Driver knew all of this. And along with his quote unquote violent history, and truancy, this threw Jerry Driver over the edge and convinced him that Damien had something to do with the murders yep. of Stevie, Mike, and Chris. Driver would tell basically, from what I could read, basically anyone in the West versus yeah. PD who would listen to him and so would on. push his suspicions on them. like And so on too, because yeah. they had town gossips, they had town yeah. civilians in the town working for the investigators. Besides yeah. Mark Byers, there were other ones. There were newbies that just moved to town, oldies that had been there for years. It was like these people had their sources in many, many different places and many different walks of life. It's not. And I, like, I know it's easy to say what we would have done in this situation because we have the benefit of time. But like, I'm sorry, there's a guy, a quote unquote juvenile officer, quote unquote occult expert who's walking around with a list of local children and we're not concerned about like, what is this man's obsession with these kids? Thank you. Thank you. Like, what is that? That is not, I don't know. But like, if there's crimes being committed against children, I would look at the guy walking around with the list of children. I don't know. Right? Obsessed is the only way to describe it, in my opinion. Yes. And think about this. Before this horrific event even took place, like what other crimes did they think that they did already? You know what I mean? Like, who even knows? It just happened that this horrific event was like the culmination of all of that. Well, like we said before, Officer Steve Jones, the occult expert, okay, he (laughs) just swore up and down that the murders had cult overtones. And right away, he thought of Damien because he had a quote unquote interest in occultism. And he felt that Damien was capable of murdering these children. He had literally no evidence to think that. It was just his opinion. So automatically, we're just, it's all Damien. The focus is just bullseye on Damien. When we know how rare a stranger event like this is. Someone who would not, even someone who didn't even know, sure, live in the same town, but didn't even know these kids. So the police would question Damien about the Robin Hood Hills murders three separate times between May 7th and May 10th. Twice they went to where he lived in the trailer park and once they brought him into the police station. And each time Damien denied knowing the boys at all, said he never heard of them and that whoever committed, whoever did commit the crime was obviously sick. But they took that as like him admitting he was sick, which oh, I just enrages me. And so using that classic technique of like, we need your help, Damien. Yeah. Who would do something like this? And then what using kind of those person? words against him. Mm-hmm. I can see it. It's like, oh, you think that person was sick? Oh, so like you, you did some time in a mental institute, like so sick, like you, you know? Oh, yep. Just pu- oh. fitting the pieces right in. Yeah. Damien states that on the evening of May 5th, he was at home with his mother. And then he was talking to, he was talking on the phone to not one, but two girls. Okay. Flex. Okay. Well, let's flex right there. <laughs> but 
but that's his alibi. So he was on the phone for hours. I think he said until like at least 1130 midnight, he was on the phone with these two girls. So on the notes of the interview, Lieutenant James Sudbury reported that Damien stated at some point that the killer is probably someone local and that he won't run. And then he immediately notates that Damien likes to read books by Stephen King. Guys. How is that connected? I literally, when I was 12, I went through like the whole, like all the novels, okay? Have not murdered a single person. Yeah, it's not. I don't even eat animals anymore. It's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. I I like to watch horror movies. Like like how does that, the next step, you know what I mean? Like where does that become like the next line? It doesn't make any sense. It's the same with the music too. It's just absolutely Meanwhile, we don't have Damien and Jason's polygraph results. We can't see those. They only have Jesse's. So you kept the note about him reading fucking Stephen King, but you didn't. Oh, you forgot. I I don't know Uh what I shredded, but Uh I guess I lost the poly. I just, I know. Damien had the word evil, E-V-I-L, across his left hand knuckles, as did Jason, I believe. Obviously, telltale sign of murderer, obviously. Or a fan of our show. They had that from from the beginning. But Damien, regardless, he did willingly take a polygraph test, like we said. And like, we don't know the results. Like, we don't know. But apparently, the administrating officer concluded that Eccles, quote, recorded significant responses indicative of deception. Well, that's nice. We don't, where's the proof? Exactly. Where's the proof? Exactly. This is the same guy who said that Vicki Hutchinson can't tell a lie. This is the same guy who says Jason lied, Jesse lied. It seems like the polygraph fits whatever you guys are trying to do. That's exactly. Exactly. So this whole time, again, Damien's denying any involvement, but the detectives are just still like in their mind they're just like gaining more and more knowledge about why they think he did do it so during another interview a formal interview not interrogation a formal interview yep that's what they call them by detective Bryn Ridge Damien had mentioned that one of the victims had wounds to the genitals and law enforcement immediately viewed this knowledge as incriminating evidence but like he could have very well have heard about this through the grapevine of the small town. It could have been on the news somewhere. I don't even think he said it at all. Everybody knew. Exactly. Everybody knew the horrific nature of that crime. Mm-hmm. It was a They're small saying, town. There were a lot of people who were at the crime scene. It got out and, and everybody knew it. Well, I guess the reason that they think it's like a really big deal is because, yes, everyone knew. But as far as the law enforcement said, they basically they thought that everyone knew or thought it had happened to all three boys instead of just one. Mm. And what Damien had said implied that it was only one boy, not all three. But either still, way, it's a bunch sauce. of misconstrued fucking yes. words and statements blended together to make a false fact. Yeah. So a month goes by. There's little progress in the case, but the authorities are still just focusing on Damien, Damien, Damien. No real evidence. They just keep on focusing on him. But they're claiming to the public that he's not regarded as a direct suspect, but just a source of information. So this is where Vicki Hutchison comes in. And I don't know, did you want to talk about that now? Or do you sure. want to talk about that? Sure, bring okay. up Vicki now. That's fine. You She's sure you want me to get- <laughs> oh. And at, at, very, at the very beginning, I'm like, okay, put yourself in Vicky's shoes. We're, we're true crime people. If you were brought the opportunity to try to get an actual resolution to this case, and you thought you could play a part that would actually help get justice, 
wouldn't you want to do so? Yes. Right? Okay. It's just it such bullshit that I was like, really, really for a is. quick second, I'm like, maybe Vicky. Trying no. to meet her halfway. And I then tried. it's just like, no, I can't. At this point in the investigation is pretty much stalled. But then Vicky Hutchinson comes in. She is a local waitress. I have literally no words for this woman. I'm at a loss of what to even say. She comes in. She was coming in for a interview about money getting stolen at her job, right? Yeah, money missing from the till and she had just started. She had just started, so they brought her in. But she decided to turn it all around and talk about the Robin Hood Hills murders and how she Right, because everyone is talking about it. Exactly. It's the talk of the town. And like, let's deviate away from that. Like the subject I'm here for, let's talk about this big, you know, juicy subject. So she told the police that she suspected the killings were cult related. And which is what everybody loves to say to every exactly. single person wanted to affiliate them with that. And she said that she was telling them she was willing to play detective. No. Okay. So no, because, no, thank you. And why were they what? like, yeah, is that let's two do that, or three people. That's two or three people already that have said that they believe he's in a satanic cult. Yep. That's the parole officer. The juvenile parole officer says it. Then Vicky, the occult word. expert says it. The occult expert says it. And now she says it. Okay. So that's three people. None of saying, them even oh. knew Damien. She had never met him prior to this. So she believed that her connection with a 17 year old neighbor, Jesse, Miss Kelly. Okay. Mm, who sometimes babysat her kids and would mow her yard sometimes. She thought that Jesse might provide an opportunity for her to explore the quote unquote secret life of Damien Eccles. And she's like 30 at this point. So keep this in mind. Go bake a fucking pie. Go do your laundry. Go okay? work a shift at the restaurant. Like go. Well, she can't because she's fucking stole money from <laughs> oh, <herself. yeah. laughs> So she told authorities that Jesse had told her about Damien, but apparently Jesse just volunteered the information to Vicky that his friend Damien, quote unquote, was his friend of his who drank blood and stuff. But Vicky took this and ran with it and she convinced Jesse to introduce her to Damien. She told Jesse like, oh, Damien, he's really hot. I would really love to hook up with him and meet him. He may have been in fact 18 at this point. I don't know, but like I right on the care. edge, I don't, don't care. care. So she convinces Jesse, like, I think he's hot. I want to go out with him. Jesse's like, okay, I can hook you up with him. Sure, great. So shortly thereafter, he brings Damien over to Vicky's house and introduces him. She told investigators that on the night of May 19th, she and Jesse were driven by <laughs> Damien. It's okay. too much. She and Jesse were driven in a car by Damien, a red Ford escort, which is weird considering Damien didn't have a car. And like has never been known to drive a car around. They took Damien took them to an S-spot, which is a gathering of witches in a field outside of town where she encountered 10 young people. Okay. They all had their faces and their arms painted black. They were taken off their clothes and quote, touching each other. She claimed that they were all participating in an orgy. And there were people with nicknames like Spider, Snake, and Lucifer. Like she didn't know their real names. I just gladly went by these nicknames, okay? But when she was like happening upon all these people in the woods, she told Damien, like, I'm not really into this whole like naked thing. So like, can we go? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he decided to drive her back home, but they left Jesse there. Late May comes around and Vicky meets with the detectives again. And this time she brings her eight-year-old son, Aaron. So while she's sharing the story about the S-bot, 
And they're like, why did you bring your eight-year-old? Yeah, this is this? really like, strange to me. This whole time, Vicky has an actual boyfriend. Right, but she's trying to hook up with 18-year-old Damien Eccles. Right, right. but Damien right. doesn't know that she has a boyfriend and the boyfriend doesn't know that she's hanging out with Damien. Okay. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, let's also just keep in mind this whole time while, you fin- while you're finishing talking about her, that there is one third particular name that's not even being mentioned or brought up at all in this that we're going to get to, that I'm going to be getting to, okay? But I'm just saying, like, do you notice how his name is not even involved? Yeah, you Jason's know what I mean? not even, like, yeah, nothing totally. Is, that's just very like, important to point out that no, one, so, no one's like, even mentioning Jason in all of this. <laughs> Where's Jason? Nobody knows. Cool. But yeah, he wasn't so, there. exactly. So he was going. at home taking care of his siblings. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. So like Vicky has the boyfriend. He doesn't know about Damien. Damien doesn't know about the boyfriend until I guess one day Damien does find out. But meanwhile, like, don't forget, Damien is like chatting it up with all the other girls in He's West Memphis. Up, he has right. an ex- a girlfriend who's pregnant with his baby. He's doing whatever. She has a boyfriend, but Damien apparently finds out she has a boyfriend. I don't know whether he finds out when he happens upon her home and sees them in her house together, or if he found out and then went to the house to confront her and sees them there. But apparently he was like pulling a peeping Tom situation. Vicky and her boyfriend are in the home and hear a thump outside or something. They look out the window or whatever and they notice like one of her flower pots has been damaged. And she was like, oh, that was weird. And like, like just brush it off with her boyfriend, but then called Damien later was like, were you at my house? And he denied it, but like she could tell it was him i don't know but he was like jealous of her with the boyfriend but he's like talking to other girls and having a baby he's also 18 or 17 and she's 30 like a mom like whatever it just skeeves me out the whole situation absolutely skeeves me out and i do feel like part of it is that girls thought the only reason that a guy in his teen years does anything says anything wears anything is to get attention from girls so i do feel like part of his like bad boy like dark clothing thing is to attract women definitely and I feel like and when you're older you can and it definitely work for him but when you're older you can kind of see that and she's just like playing on that persona of his she's just like being like oh yeah he hooks up with look he's got a pregnant girlfriend and he's got this and he was also sleeping with me and like and I swear I think part of it like while we said it was to get away from her dealing money from the restaurant or whatever and the fact of like she maybe wanted the reward of information Honestly, I think she probably just wanted the attention from like this young kid. Maybe it like made her feel hot for a minute, you know? So anyway, she brings, she goes to the detectives. She brings her son, her eight-year-old son, who's the same age as the victims. And apparently was friends with at least two of the three boys. I'm not sure. Sometimes it says he wasn't necessarily good friends with Stevie, but he hung out with them regularly. She brings Aaron and Aaron all of a sudden tells the authorities that, oh yeah, we would go, me and the boys would go to the Robin Hood Woods together all the time. We would see these five men sitting in a circle, chanting and doing what men and ladies do. Okay. And like when questioned further, it essentially meant like, she's like, so are you seeing them like kiss and like whatever? And he's just like saying yes to whatever they're proposing. Right. But he can't describe it himself. And there also was the question of whether these five men that he saw were Caucasian men or black men or whatever, because he couldn't quite differentiate. And we weren't sure if it was because they like we had said in Vicky's statement, they had painted their faces and arms black for some reason, or if they were truly a mix of white men and black men there, we don't know. Right. But the whole thing, I don't even think happened. So 
No, like, none, none of it that happens. happens. None okay. of it. No, it's none just more it. fabrications. It's just more fucking. They're like, oh, so you all of a sudden, your son knows all this information and like you didn't think to bring this up before. So June Yeah, Denny also makes some claims about like a playhouse that like didn't exist yes. too. He like also said. In the was, woods like, where they go. The devil. Right, that whatever. they go yeah. and that he had been there with those boys before. And it was yeah. like the playhouse didn't even exist and he couldn't identify the boys. They tried to get him to identify the boys. He wasn't even able to identify them in a lineup. Exactly. They literally used him as an eyewitness for an eyewitness account, yet he could not identify Damien, Jesse, or Jason. Right. He also said that Michael Moore was picked up from school that day by a man who said that he was going to pick him up because his mother needed, his mother couldn't be there. And so he was going to pick him up instead. But like we said in episode one, Michael Moore and Chris Byers lived close enough to school that no one ever drove them home. So it would never, that never would have happened. Well, don't worry, you guys, because Vicki Hutchison took a polygraph and polygraph administrator Bill Durham reported that she was likely telling the truth. It is so insane to me. It's that this account, the only reason why she's even in there is because of the discrepancy with money at her job. And all of a sudden she's got everything to do with this case. And her son has everything to do with this case. Damien's wrapped around her finger. And like, like, uh, it's just such a lie. Also, just the level of unprofessionalism that it is and that it carries to already have all of these ideologies and all of these things based around these teenagers when you do not even have a legitimate case built yet. You do not have proof of a suspect. You do not have DNA. You don't have anything at all. In fact, if anything, you have alibis from these freaking teenagers. And I understand, like, they want to solve this like to do anything like a- after seeing this like the whole nation has taken notice at this point yes, so like they were inexperienced they were inexperienced yeah. in what they were doing and they but refused the help yeah. from the arkansas state police which 100%. is just like how is that allowed oh yeah do you know i dug into that a little bit too Benny's. you know i dug into that shit okay and you know what i found out i found out that the one of the reasons for that is because apparently the local police were having an investigation being done on them, Quinnies, by the uh, Arkansas State Police, okay? Oh, yeah, you want to know why? For drug evidence going missing in the fucking evidence room, Benny's. Ah, how no. interesting. How incredibly I, interesting. This That reminds me of the Boys on the Tracks yes. True Crime Garage series mm-hmm. with the crooked medical examiner. So, so far we have gossip, a waitress, and an eight-year-old. Great. Yep. Doing great. Okay. But the polygraph says she's telling the truth, guys. Don't forget. And then the alleged night they found in a pond that looked possibly like a knife that people said they may have seen Damien have one like it. No, it was Jason's. And they only knew that it was Jason's because his mother had said that my son doesn't have a knife. He used to have a knife. It was a locking knife, a serrated locking knife. And I got pissed at him because for whatever teenage behavior, and I threw it in the pond. That's how they knew it was there. And then they just, they called the media and said, come on down, we're doing a search. And then they just pulled it out and we're like, look, we found the weapon. But she had, yeah, but she had already thrown that in there. A a year prior. Yeah. Yeah. 
Bullshit. So what about Jason, Quinny? What about the investigation into Jason who uh, has yet to really be at mentioned at all because right. he had nothing to do with it? So right after they'd been har- like Quinny said, after they've been harassing the hell out of Damien, what they start to learn as they're talking to Eccles is they learn that he has a friend named Jason Baldwin who he's with all the time. And they decide to bring him in to the station, which he willingly does. Nothing to hide. He was a good kid. He made decent grades in school. He was super laid back. I mentioned all of this when we talked about him in the first episode. In his, He immediately proclaims his innocence. According to Jason directly, he literally told them through the first like three interviews they give him that he maintained his innocence. He was with his at home with his family. He told them he was not involved in witchy things or any kind of witchcraft. Like he did have some tattoos. He did wear metal t-shirts. He dressed like a punk rock kid would kind of dress. He wore the, he would wear these, there's a picture of him with a bracelet with the spikes on it. They wore those kind of things sometimes. Is it a little fucking odd? Sure. Did I have a spike bracelet once in my life too? Absolutely. You have to. I used to have the belt. I used to have the black belt with the studs on it and the checkered vans. Like, come on. We've all been to the hot topic. So (laughs) in more recent interviews, he claims that they constantly in these interviews, they always had this story already aligned. Like they already had this story created and Jason had no idea what this even was. It was completely, they were already like pressuring him. The very, their very first, when they first took him in, they took his fingerprints, his handprints, his footprints, his hair, his blood, and saliva samples. They did this to all three of the boys. Jason claims, he literally is like, oh, and actually when he did that, when they got, when they did that, he's like, I got relieved because I was like, okay, great. They have all my DNA. It's going to automatically like exonerate me from the crime or whatever. So he, he really thought that it would prove his innocence and it, that never happened. Then they proceed to tell him that a friend, the investigators tell him, a friend had committed the murders and that they knew that Jason was affiliated with this friend, with this so-called friend, and that this friend had committed the murders. And Jason's like, don't believe you. Constantly trying to get him to change his story. And he never changed his story. He stuck exactly to what he said from the beginning. We could use more Jason Baldwins on the planet. Yes. We really could. Like people who are just genuinely committed to being honest. It's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing at his age. Yes. At the same time, him and Damien are laughing about this. Like you right. gotta be kidding me. They're coming to us asking these dumbass questions. Like yeah, we like, had nothing to do with this. Like what, you know, they're, they're, yes, like, they're laughing it off. Like we didn't together. do anything. So what do we have to worry about? Yeah. You know, and that's part of the attitude from Damien too. It's like, I'm innocent. So I can say whatever I want because I didn't do anything. And if you think I did, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. 100%. And Damien was living in a two room trailer with five people. Yeah. And so of course he's at Jason's as often as possible. Yeah. Of course he's like they're basically or attached the to the girlfriend. You know, yeah, whatever. because he doesn't want to be home. 100 You know? So acting on a tip from Vicki Hutchinson. Thank you uh, so much, Carly, for going into her on our behalf. Won't be the last time we mention her. No. Nope. The <laughs> West Memphis PD interrogated Jesse Miss Kelly without a lawyer or parent present on June 3rd of 1993. Get your stress balls out and take on a few June deep breaths. June 3rd, too. On June How 3rd. How is it yeah. allowed for him to not have a parent present? <sighs> so Jesse went willingly. 
as he said, I have nothing to hide. And his father gave him permission to tell, to make a statement, to tell the police anything that he might know, but not to be questioned or to be interrogated. So his parents did not give permission. It's unreal to me. How's it even legal? Now, I was thinking about this because I was like, you know, all these different accounts from neighbors about when they last saw the kids and all these different accounts from other students about what they may or may not have seen. I got thinking about Kyron Horman. Yeah. And thinking about how they brought the whole school back in the next day and every person had to sit down with the police and say exactly where they were and exactly what they did. And I think that would have really benefited this investigation Yes, because I think right away you would have been given a list of people who not, who just like we said, could not physically be there who, who otherwise should not be looked into. Right. Jesse's father gave him permission to go. And part of that is that $35,000 reward that Carly mentioned. There was $35,000 reward for information. And that was, that was an unbelievable amount of money for that community. So Jesse's dad was like, well, he, he actually says now I told him you go tell the police everything, you know, because he knew his son was innocent. And he's like, and if you can provide some information, I'll buy a new truck. That's what he told Jesse. Right. So walking in there, not only is he going to try to please the police who he, who he trusts, but now he's trying to please his father as well, just from the moment that he walks in there. So despite having no parental permission, Jesse was interrogated from 9 a.m. until after dark, like we said. In over 12 hours of questioning, 46 minutes were recorded. It's so sketch. How is it, it is a choice so... that it gets recorded? Just record the whole thing and it needs to be proven that right. you're recording the whole time. That's yeah, but I can just see it. I can just see them being like, oh, we're just having a casual conversation, Jesse. We don't even need to record it. Thank you so much for coming in and just d- using that opportunity to not be on tape. For but hours. how is it? proper protocol and how is it like allowed to just be excused yeah and he's a minor not to mention iq isn't everything but he's no extra vulnerable yes highly vulnerable well, you know absolutely yeah almost exactly almost to the point that like not only is he a minor but exactly because of that he needs to have a parent or a guardian with him lawyer 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 mr miss kelly could you state your name for the record please lawyer lawyer but again jesse miss kelly had no concept of a lawyer, had no concept of. And again, so many of these kids went in there with nothing to hide and Jesse had nothing to hide. So in these recordings, this 46 minutes of recordings, you can hear the leading questions from investigators. So Detective Durham, West Memphis's resident polygraph administrator, he gave Jesse a polygraph test. And on that test, he asked Jesse questions like, who killed the boys? Have you ever done drugs? Did you kill the boys, et cetera? Durham told Jesse that he failed the polygraph. And this test, which is the only one that has survived, by the way, this is the only test that's in the case file. Damien's and Jason's, poof, mysteriously, no one knows. Aliens, maybe? Gremlins? I don't know. I have no it idea. It make don't worry, Vicky's is there. Sense. Oh, Vicky's is there. Great. Well, but I'm Vicky's glad they have Vicky's. This polygraph exam from Jesse Miss Kelly has been examined now by some renowned polygraph examiners, including people who worked on the Watergate investigation. And they found that 
unanimously that the only thing that Jesse lied about was the question, have you ever done drugs? Because he's a fucking teenager, dude. And he doesn't want to say, yeah, it's like when your doctor is like, do you smoke? And you have to pause and be like, (laughs) do I incriminate myself or do I? It's like a gray area. You know, like what do you secretly a criminal and I don't know it? I have to think about it. Durham told Jesse that the polygraph machine could read his thoughts and his thoughts were saying that he was lying. So Jesse having an IQ of 72 at the highest and believing that the investigator is here to help him and trusting the police, he gets it into his mind that maybe he could have done something wrong without realizing it. And for me, this might be the most egregious offense, this polygraph examination being explained to him. This might be the most awful thing that happens to Jesse Miss Kelly in this process because explaining to a 16, 17 year old that the machine can read your thoughts. You're not talking to a 16, 17 year old. You're talking to a 10 year old. You're talking to a child. And so if you are talking to him in this nursery rhyme, sing songy kind of way, the way that you would explain something to a child, that to me proves that you knew he was a child and you knew you had to meet him there and you knew you could get a confession out of him. 1000%. You're so right. You wouldn't talk to him like that if you didn't know that he was cognitively impaired. And if you knew that he was cognitively impaired, you knew you could manipulate him. Like I never put it like one, two, three, like in a row like that, but it makes so much sense. Just watching him be like, now, Jesse, you know, like the way they speak to him reminds me of me talking to my four-year-old nephew. And I'm like, wow, you you know exactly, you know exactly what you're doing. That's what they did to the other kid too. They talked to him like he's a little child. Yes, Brendan, Brendan Dassey. Mm -hmm. Yes, same. So after they do that, they turn Jesse over to Gary Gitchell. They move him to a smaller room, which is classic, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, now we're getting into a confined space. The walls are closing in. He starts asking Jesse what he knew. And Jesse says that his friend said that he heard that it probably was Damien and Jason who did the crimes. Okay, so he's now three people removed. Jesse said that his friend said, that his friend heard that, right? So he's just, it's the longest chain in history. This is after hours of being asked if he knew Damien and Jason, do they worship the devil? They're just implanting these things so that they can go back and talk about them later when they finally decide to turn the fucking tape recorder on. Yeah, seriously. So despite Jesse saying, no, that's all I know. That's all I know. Gitchell just keeps feeding him details of the crime like the hog tying of the children that now say, he didn't say hog tied. He said, then the kids were tied up. So he would say, you know, the kids were found tied up and Jesse would go, Oh, okay. And, it, and later on, you know, maybe five minutes later, Gitchell goes and the kids were tied. Right. And Jesse would say, yeah, they were tied because they just fucking told him that. And then they asked him what they were tied with. And Jesse said with a brown rope and they would yell at him. It was not a brown rope. It was shoelaces. And Jesse would say, oh, okay, right. It was shoelaces. Like, do you, like, do we see what's going on here? Like, this is just a repeating game. Like mm-hmm. I feed it to you. You feed it back to me. Like, this is not police work. This is yeah, not legitimate. After, this no, is it's repeat after me. 
exactly. And repeatedly over and over again, they're saying, if you just tell us the truth, Jesse, if you just tell us what you know, you can go home. So now the kid is in a conundrum. He is telling him the truth, but he's still in that room. So then Jesse starts saying all kinds of shit. They start talking to him about what Vicki Hutchinson has said. And he says that people used to go to Robin Hood Hills with briefcases full of drugs. This is an exact quote to have satanic rituals. What the fuck are we even talking about right now? Honestly. What are we even talking about? Like it's so it's, are you like, are we in outer space? Then they take out the crime scene photos, which unfortunately Carly has seen. I've seen if you've watched paradise lost or West of Memphis or any of it, you've seen some of the worst crime scene photos I have ever seen showed these three dead children to, to the 16, 17 year old kid. And they play a recording for him of a child saying, nobody knows what happened to me. This child was Aaron Hutchison, Vicky's son. And at some point in his taped interview he said that and they just extracted it and played it for jesse that is so disgusting so it's just like it's really corrupt that's it's really just corrupt. like but what does that have to do with anything like what is it all he hears is like a child's voice calling out to him but it's not he doesn't even know where it's coming from like it's just they're just hammering this kid oh they're just hammering God. him and then they turn the tape recorder on which is great. Over 11 hours after he got to the station, Jesse said Damien himself and Jason had met up on May 5th, 1993 at 9am already with a plan to kill all three kids. He said all the boys were killed by noon. Now we know this can't be true, right? Because all three children were seen after school that day. So the cops tell him, no, that couldn't have been the time. And Jesse says, well, they must have skipped school, which still doesn't make any sense. So the cops tell him that he's wrong again. And yeah, he says, they didn't skip school. Right. But again, even if they had, what does that have to do with anything? That doesn't like, that doesn't make any sense. They were seen after school. So again, he's not getting it. He's not, he's, he's not getting it the way that they want it. He, they tell him he's wrong again. And he says, oh, okay, well it happened at five o'clock, which again is not late enough for the police. So the whole process happens over again until Jesse says it happened between seven and eight. Jesse also said that Damien choked a child, one of the children, but none of the kids had neck trauma at all. Jesse still said the boys were tied up by their hands only with brown rope, even though it was shoelaces and it was both. And then Jesse said that while Damien and Jason were beating Stevie and Chris, Michael Moore ran away and Jesse ran to bring him back. And this is a result of the police asking how they got a hold of all three kids, how they kept them all in one place. This is Jesse's explanation. And this is the most damning statement for Jesse Miss Kelly. He went on to claim that all three of the boys were sexually assaulted, but not by him, only by Damien and Jason. Jesse was arrested after this confession and he did not spend a day outside of police custody for over 18 years after that. I just, even writing it and like the, the tears in my eyes and the frustration and the, just the, the rage, um, the freaking rage, want to break plates, want to smash seriously. plates. Even his uh, defense attorney, Dan Stidham, he still gets so mad talking about it. And it's just, you know, yeah. 
So Jesse's the first to go to trial and he, his trial began on, in January of 1994. It's pretty rough. So just a fair warning, his attorney, Dan Stidham, like I said, tried to get the conviction thrown out, you know, citing police coercion, totally denied. So the state tries to prove that Jesse's convoluted version of events was fair and accurate of what happened to the kids. The medical examiner, Frank Peretti, he claimed that the evidence of sexual assault to the children was present. And they showed photos of the children's anuses post-mortem in the courtroom. This tactic is the same one that was used in the Rodney Reed case. And I've seen some of you little YouTube trolls telling me that Rodney Reed is not an innocent man. And Rodney Reed did not murder Stacey Seitz and the man should be out of prison. Anyway, (laughs) there is just no easy way to say this that your anal cavity dilates when you die. It's just how it is. Everything relaxes. It's science. It's not, it's not pretty. And it's terrible that those jurors even had to see that, but it's not an evidence of sexual assault. It's just not the fact that they were in water on top of it. Exactly. And the ME is telling them this, like what? Yeah. Like it's quote unquote scientific testimony. Like, well, no, Carly, he's not board certified. We're going to find out that that? he tried and failed multiple times and then, and then chose voluntarily to not go for the certification again for quote unquote personal reasons. We're going to talk a lot more about that. We're going to talk a lot more about that in episode three, but yeah, he's, he um, doesn't know what he's talking about. Unfortunately, he's a quote unquote expert. Quote unquote expert. People. Yep. So many witnesses with just these like false testimonies. And several medical examiners now in high profile cases contend that this dilation is not a result of sexual assault. I'll go back to reference Lacey Peterson. They tried to talk about sexual assault in her case when the, yeah. when the pieces of her body were found and it was roundly rejected. It's not evidence of sexual assault. Wow. But they didn't know that in West Memphis in 1994. Jesse's defense brought forth several witnesses that put Jesse at a wrestling event on the night in question. Six witnesses testified that he was miles from town through 11 o'clock on that night. But much much like Marsha Clark in the OJ trial, the jury was only listening with one ear. They Mm -hmm. saw those crime scene photos. They heard the confession and they saw these, like the images of these children and their mind was made up before the defense even started. Jesse was convicted on one count of first degree murder and two counts of second degree murder. That first degree murder was for Michael Moore, who Jesse confessed he had brought back when he tried to run away. They gave him first degree murder for that. He was sentenced to life plus 40 years in prison. Jesse was the star witness for the state in Damien and Jason's upcoming trial. And he refused to testify against Damien and Jason. He maintained that his confession was coerced and he admitted that he was frightened of the police. Katie and Carly are going to get into the trial of Damien and Jason. Well, the two of them share their, so their trial was shared together and they were, they were shared, they were tried separate from Jesse. Because they don't have anything on Jason Baldwin, dude. Without Damien, there is no Jason. Jason. Well, three weeks after Jesse's trial, Damien and Jason, like we said, they're tried together. Their trial starts. And the day before the trial opened, defense attorney Dan Stidham announced that 
Jesse Miss Kelly made a decision last night that he is not going to testify against his co-defendants. And without Jesse's testimony, the state was left with a very thin, very circumstantial case. The prosecution would go right away, just accuse both of them of committing the satanic murder. The satanic murder, okay? They told the jury that they would prove through scientific evidence that they caused the death of these three boys. Well, I would like to know what that scientific evidence was. Yeah, could you share it, please? Okay. So Paul Ford represented Jason, and he told the court that Jason was not a troublemaker. Like we said before, he went into detail about how Jason helped out his mom, get his brothers up for school every day. Like, cause his mom worked, like, I think he, she worked the night shift or she worked late. So she would often still be asleep in the mornings. And he was like in charge of getting them all ready to go and making them. Yeah, like he was raising his siblings. He was exactly. literally raising, helping raise his siblings. And himself and yeah. having good grades and like, you know, okay, fine. His friend was Damien. He had like evil, like half tattooed on his fingers, like big deal. Paul Ford argued that Jason was only in the court because police had disregarded statements and physical evidence. He says, you'll see that this evidence that they have has been twisted and manipulated and distorted in order to make the pieces of the puzzle they want to build to fit together. And you'll see that from their own witnesses. And it says, lastly, you will see from their own witnesses evidence that will show you that Jason Baldwin is innocent. So then Scott Davidson, Damien Eccles' attorney, used his opening statement to address his big concern which was that the jury might find his client guilty because of Damien's like maybe like strange statements and actions in the past because he wasn't the all-American boy. He said he's kind of weird. He's not being not the same as you or I. I think you'll also see that there's simply no evidence that he murdered these three kids. So like, so then the prosecution would call on Dale Griffith. Griffith? This Griffith. fucking dude. Yeah, this I... dude and Jerry Driver are fucking dosey doing in the field in together. The yep. The worst. He is, I think, the most quote-unquote occult expert yes. ever. Serious. <laughs> yes. Like, PhD of bullshit. Okay. For real. He has a PhD from an unaccredited university. Okay. He's called a dime store expert. He testified that the murders were a satanic ritual and he was literally talking out of his ass. Oh, shocker. And so I'm sorry. Now, what is that? The fifth or sixth claim now? Yep. It really seems to be trending. So the trial judge, the judges. Yeah, Burnett, hide your head in shame, dude. Okay. Not impressed. He ruled that Jesse Miss Kelly's confession was not proper for the jury to hear at Damien and Jason's trial. But the defense later would note that a jur- the jury foreman, Ken Arnold, had discussed it with mm-hmm. other jurors in deliberations and termed it the primary and deciding factor of their decision. So in the meantime, the jury is like going, like finding out all this scanty, extremely circumstantial evidence, but then they get into the witnesses. And this is just... A parade of a just parade. nonsense. Straight up. Absolutely. Two girls are brought in. They both claim to have overheard Damien say he killed the boys. Is this a softball game? Yeah. Okay. So this is interesting because they, they, they are trying to paint this as a confession that he confessed to the crime at a softball game. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. It's just funny. It's just a funny thing. You're just sitting in the stands with your friends. And it so I committed really a murder. Um, I, but killed, I, I killed these three kids. But again, today. two girls. 
he's cultivating this like outlaw badass yes. and he probably did say something like yeah they all suspect me of doing it because right. i'm so like whatever it's just again it's just this typical teenage boy behavior Absolutely. it really is and they exactly they want to be mysterious and creepy they totally. love that yeah they're like oh nobody knows if i i'm the bad boy if i <laughs> Maybe I did sacrifice the goat in the woods. You don't know. You Maybe don't know. I'm a little dangerous. Wouldn't you like to find out? Ugh. <laughs> the state medical examiner told the jury that the knife found in the pond behind Jason Parents' home could have been the murder weapon. Another witness claimed to have seen Damien with a knife similar to that one. That was her testimony. That was it. They saw Damien with a knife that kind of looked like that one. We're not done with the witnesses. Two more witnesses come and claim that they saw Damien somewhere near the crime scene the night of the murders. And this that was damning. Yeah. A state criminalist would claim that fibers found on the victim's clothing were microscopically, microscopically similar to fibers recovered from Damien's house. Where come to find out these fibers could have been like anyone who shopped at Walmart or something. Yeah, like the most generic fabric in the area. Lastly, another witness comes on the scene and says they allege that both Damien and Jason were members of a cult. Well, then Detective Bryn Ridge comes back into play and Detective Ridge reports that during Damien's long interview at the police station, he says that Damien claimed that all persons hold demonic forces inside them. Okay. And then Damien went on and on about the mystical significance of water and notated that the number three, which is obviously the number of victims in this in this case, was a sacred number in the Wicca religion. He's, he's, he's a kid. He's a kid. Defense argued that Damien could have known about the genital, genital mutilation like we talked about earlier because of the news articles around. Then the defense asked Damien to read excerpts from his personal journal, which includes like favorite quotes, which is like Metallica lyrics. There's a quote from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, oh my God, I'd have so much incriminating shit if they went through exactly. my journals. Holy like, motherfucking what? shit. That's what I'm like, saying about my me? search history, my Google right. search history. Yeah. That will get me in trouble someday. Seriously, exactly. same. Um, so he also had like a dog skull in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why do you have a dog skull? And David literally use, says, I kind of thought it was just kind of cool. They use the same stuff against like, against Baldwin as well. Yes. They did the same kind of thing. They went through his some of his notebooks. They found some sketches and some pictures that he had drawn, like a devil thing, like killing something or with a bloody knife or something. And so, of course, they're going to use that because, you know, God forbid anybody draw a scary picture. Truly. Also, fun fact, Jason Baldwin never even testifies. And honestly, there's so much controversy around that. Like he should have or he shouldn't have. But any good attorney will keep you off of the stand. Right. 100%. Do anything they can because yep. you're just once you're up there, there's they have you the do chance not, to incriminate you. You do not have to come down until they are done. Yep. And they said, like, we just wanted to disappear on the radar screen and let Damien be the whole focus, which like I understand is a good strategy for Jason. It just sucks. Well, on March 19th, 1994, Damien and Jason were found guilty on three counts of murder. And the court sentenced Damien to death and Jason to life in prison. Without parole. Without parole. And then they spent 
18 years behind bars. And that's where we're going to leave it for this week, little Quinnies. And oh. next week, we're going to close out this series with the full movement to set the West Memphis free. Fresh, 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 With the movement to free the West Memphis Three, the suspects that remain, and our opinions about what really went down in West Memphis. And I'm sorry that we got to leave you hanging for another week, but we had to push this to three parts just so Carly can talk about Terry Hobbs. Literally. Like, literally. Terry I'm Hobbs, so Jacoby, the Bojangles restaurant. Yeah. Yes. Get out of here. Oh my God. All right, Quinnies. All right, Quinn. All right, Benny's. Love you, Benny's. Love, Love you, Quinnies. Talk to you soon. Bye. Love you, Benny's. Listen to Straight Up Evil.